But you have to remember the context of where God was coming from, because we don't know what the foreign nations looked like at this time. We don't know what kind of laws they had regarding poverty. We don't know any of that stuff. All we know is that these laws that God is putting into place regarding slavery from different countries is actually kind of healthy in regards to what slavery is. Hey, faithful listener, grab your cup of coffee and experience the Bible in a way you never have before. P40 Ministries is a podcast that goes through the Bible cover to cover. It's an awesome narrative that focuses your mind and prepares your heart for God to speak. So join your host, Jen, for a biblical podcast that's hilarious, informative, imaginative, and fun. The P40 Ministries podcast. Listen now as we go through the book of Leviticus. Hello and good morning, faithful listeners. Thanks for tuning in to the P40 Ministries podcast this morning. And I hope you're ready to share some coffee with me or a cup of tea with me as we discuss the Bible. Though today I am, in fact, drinking coffee and I haven't drank tea in quite a while because it's not very good. (laughs) I will continue to make that joke probably for the um, majority of this entire podcast for the next like seven years or however long it takes me to get through the entire Bible because we're only in Leviticus right now and we're about to move into um, numbers pretty quickly here. So that's exciting. We're moving into uh, season four soon. So that's going to be coming up in the next couple weeks or so. And then also I'm going to be doing that name change very quickly as well. So let's go ahead and talk about Leviticus 25 verses 39 through 55 and see what the Bible has to say about slavery. And this is one that we don't really like to talk about because we don't like slavery here in America. We just don't because we have a bad history here in America with slavery. So slavery is kind of a hot button topic But God has something to say about it in Leviticus. So let's see what God has to say about this. And I'll be reading out of W.E.B. this morning. If your brother has grown poor among you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant and as a temporary resident, he shall be with you. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family and to the possession of his father's. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. And you shall not rule over him with harshness, but you shall fear your God. As for your male and your female slaves, whom you may have from the nations that are around you, from them you may buy male and female slaves. Moreover, of the children of the aliens who live among you, of them you may buy, and of their families who are with you, which they have conceived in your land, and they will be your property." You may make them an inheritance for your children after you to hold for possession of them. You may take your slaves forever, but over your brothers of the children of Israel, you shall not rule one over the other with harshness. 
If an alien or a temporary resident with you becomes rich and your brother beside him has grown poor and sells himself to the stranger or foreigner living among you or to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his uncle's sons may redeem him or any who is a close relative to him of his family may redeem him. Or if he has grown rich, he can redeem himself. He shall reckon with him who bought him from the year that he sold himself to the year of Jubilee. The price of his sale shall be according to the number of years. He shall be with him according to the time of a hired servant. If there are yet many years, according to them, he shall give back the price of his redemption out of the money that he was bought for. If there remain but a few years to the year of Jubilee, then he shall reckon with him. According to his years of service, he shall give back the price of his redemption. As a hired servant, year by year, he shall be with him. He shall not rule with harshness over him in your sight. If he isn't redeemed by these means, then he shall be released in the year of Jubilee, he and his children with him. For to me, the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. So after I read this, I actually took the liberty of defining what a slave is according to Google. So I googled slave and here is what Google has to say about the word slave. So a slave, according to Google, is a person who is the legal property of another and is forced to obey them, a person who works very hard without proper appreciation, a person who is excessively dependent upon or controlled by someone. And another similar word would be a bondservant. So I looked up what bondservant means. And according to the Oxford Dictionary, a bondservant is a person bound in service without wages. So what's interesting about every definition here is these would still be different than what God is talking about with slavery here in Leviticus 25 with everything I just read. Because, first and foremost, let's talk about slavery regarding the Israelites and also regarding foreigners. So talking about the Israelites first, which is verses 39 through 43. The word slave doesn't even apply in this situation. This would be if a Israelite brother or sister became so poor that they could not support their family anymore and sold themselves to become slaves or rather servants to somebody who was rich. This would also happen not only if a person was poor, but if a person was a criminal or if a person had tremendous debt that they got themselves into. In these cases, a person could sell themselves, an Israelite man or woman could sell themselves to become a slave or a servant to another Israelite person. And in that way, they would free themselves from poverty because once they became the servant of this rich man, rules were put into place as to what a slave or how a slave was supposed to be treated. If that slave was an Israelite person, they had so many rights. They were supposed to become members of the family. And yes, they were not getting paid for their work and they were technically a bond servant. In other words, this was a contract between one person and another person, like a mutual contract between the slave and the slave owner. This was no buying and selling of kidnapped people. And in fact, God had said that anybody who kidnaps a man or a woman or a child or anybody from their families and puts them into slavery should be killed. But if this was a consensual slave and master, I suppose, agreement between two people, then God said, okay, 
here is how it's going to be done. You're going to be treating your slave like they are a human being. You're going to be letting them eat at your table. We talked about that. You're going to be letting them be married and have children. You're going to be letting them have rights as a human being. And after seven years, you have to let them go. They cannot remain as a permanent slave in your household. After seven years, you're done with them. They're out. They're gone. Even if their debt hasn't fully been paid off to you yet, even if, uh, you know, they were a criminal at one point, they are done. They only have to serve with you for seven years and then they're done. They are free people. But if that servant liked his master so much and enjoyed being in that household and loved the family, loved the kids, enjoyed working there, their master was nice to them, they could actively choose to stay in that family and continue to work as the slave or as the servant of that family. And that kind of reminds me, I was recently uh, watching like an adaptation of David Copperfield, which is a book written by um, Charles Dickens. But I was watching the adaptation of it, which was pretty good, by the way. And the servant of the household of David Copperfield was named Peggotty. And she loved the family so much that after the mother had died and David Copperfield was like all grown up and married, she continued to live with David Copperfield as his, I guess, servant and, uh, you know, take care of his family, his children that he ended up having. That just kind of reminds me of like the servant that is just very happy living with their masters and want to continue to live with them, take care of them, and become part of the family. So that is what would happen in that case. These servants could continue to stay on with their masters and live with them and have rights as family members that kind of served. But what God is talking about specifically here in verses 39 through 43 is it's talking about a person who becomes a servant leading up to the years of the jubilee so this would have to be if the if the year of jubilee ended up falling on a year that was before that traditional seven years that you had to let your slave or servant go in and this would be like say you got a person who was a slave and they only had three years until the year of jubilee but they were a criminal They were a criminal who stole something from you or stole something from the neighbor, but you bought them and they became a slave on your property or a servant on your property. But three years later, the year of Jubilee would happen. That servant, whether or not he fulfilled his seven years with you, would have to be released during that time. And even if his debt wasn't fully paid off yet, it didn't matter. That was the year of Jubilee. It was talking about just freedom for the Israelite people. Now, don't forget, verses 39 through 43 are talking specifically about Israelite people. These are not talking about the foreigners. So there's different rules for a foreigner who is a slave. Once again, anybody who bought and sold a slave and kidnapped them from their homes was to be put to death. So just remember that that uh, slavery that was done in America was man stealing. So just keep that in mind as I read this. But verses 44 through 46 talk about if an Israeli person buys somebody who is not an Israeli servant, rather they buy a foreign servant. Once again, there could be no, absolutely no uh, man stealing put into place. Nothing. 
This had to be still a consensual thing between one person and the next person. And so, yeah, this is the portion of scripture, verses 44 through 46, that we don't like very much here in Leviticus, because this is, in fact, talking about actual slavery, like an Israeli person could, in fact, own a foreign slave. But you have to remember the context of where God was coming from, because we don't know what the foreign nations looked like at this time. We don't know what kind of laws they had regarding poverty. We don't know any of that stuff. All we know is that these laws that God is putting into place regarding slavery from different countries is actually kind of healthy in regards to what slavery is. And so what really helped me understand some of this was actually this uh, website called thebriefing.com.au. And so it talks about the slavery of non-Israelites here. This guy, his name is Andrew Schmidt. He wrote this article about the Old Testament regarding slavery of non-Israelites or rather foreigners. And so here's what it says. It says, one of the criticisms which is rightly leveled at slavery is that to be someone's property makes the slave seem somewhat less than human. But Exodus 12:44 counts the foreign slave as a fully fledged human being at the point where it matters most. It counts the slave as part of God's covenant people. The rules about slavery of non-Israelites remain difficult. But if anything else, these rules rudely remind us that economic freedom is not an absolute good. And so I really like what he had to say about that. But my favorite part actually about the entire article is this uh, reflection on contemporary economic life. And so he goes on to say here, opponents of Christianity might acknowledge that the Old Testament slavery law was more humane than the ancient average, but still see the Israelite slaves lower status as proof that the Bible is antiquated and barbaric. However, it should be pointed out that even societies without slavery, such as our own, involve some people suffering from a lower status than others. As we have seen, slavery in Israel resulted from poverty or theft, two phenomena which are still with us. Consider our society's response to these. For poverty, we have social security and, where applicable, bankruptcy laws. And for theft of a serious kind, we have imprisonment. All of these measures involved lowering a person's status, if not formally, then at least socially, when compared with an ordinary free person. Imprisonment, in particular, has in common with slavery that the person is deprived of their liberty, the main difference being that the master is the state rather than the individual. So what's interesting to me about that in particular is just this guy is like pointing out that no matter where you go, there's going to be problems of some sort. So even though slavery was not abolished in the days of the Israelites, there might have been a good reason for that, because what could the alternative have been? And we can't really possibly know that right now in this time period. We, we don't really know what the alternative would have been. It could have possibly been death if these people were just starving to death and were unable, you know, to have this option of selling themselves into slavery. So we don't really know what the alternative was, but we do know that God does make allowances for stuff. God is saying to, honestly, a very barbaric group of people in the Old Testament, if slavery is going to happen, here is how it's going to happen. And you need to respect that slave. You need to uh, protect them. You need to give them rights as a human being. You need to let them worship with you. You need to let them sit at your table. You need to let them have life. 
because God is the one who gives life. And so, of course, since God gives life to all human beings that he creates, he expects masters to treat their slaves well. One way or the other, I do believe that God just wants us to respect all people. It doesn't matter if they're rich or they're poor or they're an employer, a CEO, or if they're an employee. It doesn't matter. God expects us as human beings to respect other human beings as creation that God made in his image. But one last thing I want to talk about here before I conclude is actually verses 47 through 55, which talks about if an Israelite man chooses to sell himself to like a rich foreigner that lives in the area. And so God kind of places it under sort of a different set of rules. It's almost as if God like expects the foreign person to abuse the uh, Israelite man, which is kind of interesting because it says that after he is sold, he may be redeemed. So he's almost like, like, I feel like hinting to uh, the family members, hey, go redeem your cousin or your nephew or your brother from this situation that he got himself into. <laughs> and that's kind of what verses 47 through uh, 49 talk about. But God does say that if that Israelite man sells himself to um, the foreigner and there's nobody to redeem him, he can eventually redeem himself if he grows rich during that time period. So that is another thing. You know, even though that this Israelite man is selling himself, there is some way for him to grow rich during that time. I mean, I, I don't exactly know what that would be, but he can also redeem himself during that time, which remain, redeem means to buy back like literally, like when it says that Jesus redeemed us, he literally bought us. He bought us back. But the main thing I want to focus on here is God saying in verse 54 that the Israelites are his servants. Verses 55, and that was a little bit what I talked about in that article, was that the Israelites, the reason God didn't want them to be really enslaved to other people is kind of what Jesus talks about, which is you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other. So the Israelites cannot serve two masters. God is their master. And so if an Israelite person is under the servitude of <laughs> servitude, uh, servitude, yeah, servitude of a um, of a master, he will have to do everything that that particular master says because, you know, he he is a slave to that guy. And so maybe at that point, he won't be able to serve God as well, especially if he uh, if his master in this case is not a believing man or is not a Jewish man. He might have to start worshiping other gods or doing this. I, I mean, I don't know exactly what the case would be. But it almost seems to me like God is telling his people, don't get yourselves in the situation where you become slaves to a foreign master. Don't get yourself in that situation where you live with that person and start becoming accustomed to what they're doing. You cannot serve two masters. And so even with the seven year thing, even that is pretty clear that God does not want his people staying under a master for for a very long time, unless, of course, 
that person chooses to do so after the seven years is over with. But I mean, it's it's just really interesting how that verse that Jesus talks about, which is you cannot serve two masters, kind of comes into play in this in this sense of spirituality regarding slaves and masters. And I hope I'm making sense. But to me, it's, it's kind of uh, making sense in my brain. And I hope I'm iterating it correctly. But even so, this makes a lot of sense now why a foreign slave did not need to be freed. Because that foreign slave, when it comes to spirituality issues, is actually better off staying as part of the family as a slave with an Israelite person than they are going back to their own home country with their own gods and everything like that as well. Because we do know that God cares the most about where our walk with him is. God cares the most about that. And that's what he really, really wants. God cared so much about where that slave's soul was. He cared so much about them that he wanted himself to be their master. And no matter what that looked like, whatever best capacity that could be in, he cared about their soul the most. And so uh, really, this is just God showing his love again. I mean, we, we look at this and we're like, oh, God's so mean for allowing slavery. But I mean, look at how God is caring about the souls of these people. Like, wow, sometimes the Bible like just really comes to life for me <laughs> in certain uh, circumstances. But I'm going to drop a link to um, that article I read to you guys in the bio of this podcast episode. So if you're interested in learning more about it, it was a pretty interesting and, and sound article. So I will definitely drop it um, there in the bio so you can navigate over there. All right, guys. Well, this was talking about slavery today. Not a very fun topic, but... One that should be discussed, especially since everyone that is a critic especially likes to go here in scripture and be like, God likes slavery. <laughs> well, I don't think God necessarily likes slavery, but he does in fact allow it with a lot of rules put in place as to how slavery was supposed to be done. So join me tomorrow and we'll talk about Luke and more of Jesus' travels. So tune in then, 6 a.m. or whenever you wake up. And uh, by the way, I'm going to be having a special t-shirt in the shop for everybody who has made it through Leviticus. I decided that just now. <laughs> I decided that, yeah. We're, I'm going to have a special t-shirt so that people can get the t-shirt that they went through Leviticus and read through it. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. Happy listening and God bless. <laughs>